0: you have your Bibles and you want to follow along you can do so in Matthew 21 today as we continue to worship together. It's good to be back last Sunday morning I was caring for sick people and uh, I appreciate your prayers thank God that I did not get sick but uh, Zachary and I didn't get sick the girls got sick but boy they were sick let me tell you I mean they were sick. One point on uh, Saturday afternoon Saturday evening I told Zachary I said little buddy I said look I said, if Daddy gets sick, you're all that's left. I said, can you handle it? He said, yeah, I'll be all right. We'll get you. I said, I can take care of you or something along those lines. I said, I believe you can, <laughs> and you probably have to, because from the looks of these girls, I don't think any of us are going to be standing up here very long if we get sick. So it was not a pleasant weekend. I missed you guys, and uh, I missed you guys for more reasons than you know, But uh, but very thankful to be back, very thankful for the privilege. You know, it is a great privilege to preach God's Word. Uh, it is a sacred trust that God gives us as pastors, uh, and uh, it is such a wonderful thing. I had a uh, a mentor who told me one time, uh, he and his wife, I was sitting in their living room, they said, if you're called of God to do this, you'll never quit. If you're not called of God, you will, and if you can do anything else with your life, you should just plan and go and do so right now, uh, and I thought, well, those are strange words, but I have learned over the years how true they really are because there are difficult times that come with the ministry, hard times discouraging times but God holds us and holds our feet to the fire so to speak and holds us close to his heart and he puts that fire in our bones to preach the word of God and I'm so thankful for that and so thankful for this opportunity today but especially on the Holy Week the week of of, that we celebrate every year uh, what Christ has done for us to redeem us what a special privilege it is to preach uh, during a week such as this and we look at this passage of scripture that we come to this morning and we are caught with a couple of things right away. Uh, one is, is that Jesus is the King of Kings. And the second is that He is the Lord of Lords. Uh, we see that in verse three that He is Lord. Uh, this is a confession that is made that Jesus receives unto himself and accepts. Uh, we see in, in, Zachari- or, or in verse five rather that it is very apparent, and Matthew's making it very clear here, that this moment is the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine. That Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the long-awaited Savior of the world. What an exciting thing that is. Here He is walking into Jerusalem. With His face resolute as Scripture has taught us in the book of Luke. He had set His face Upon that which was his to accomplish. The salvation of the world. And he began to take those steps into the city. Knowing what awaited him there. Knowing that this was the moment in which he would suffer. He would be crucified. And he would die for all of the sins. Of all of mankind. Of all of time. They would all come upon him. And he would die for them there upon the cross. Does that excite you this morning? Does that move you this morning? I just want to start out this morning and asking that question. Does it impact you and how does it impact you? If you can hear those words and still be thinking about where you're going to eat lunch, something's wrong. If you can hear those words and sit there this morning and think, I wonder how long he's going to preach, something's wrong with you. Listen, this is the most exciting news that the world has ever seen, that the world has ever heard. Jesus is coming. He is walking into the city. And He is coming to take our sins away. He is coming to take the curse that was due us. That's exciting. That's an exciting moment. That is an exciting moment both then, 2,000 years ago, and here this morning. It is an exciting thing that Jesus has come to take away all of our sins. To take upon Himself the curse that was due us. You know, this morning we have these two children that we bring here and we dedicate to the Lord and Uh, It's a wonderful moment. It's an exciting moment. And in so doing, we commit to join with these parents and raising them up, raising up these children to know and follow Jesus. And and herein lies the real importance because it's uh, of the dedication itself. It's not just to give them the knowledge of the Lord, but to help them to come to a place where they make a commitment of their lives to the Lord. You see. This morning, we need to understand this story about Jesus maybe in a new way than you've ever understood it before. It's more than just a story. It's more than just a moment in history. It's more than just knowledge. You see, my question to you this morning is, the coming of Jesus a historical fact, or is it a life-changing event? There's a big difference between the two. You see, I would venture a guess that most of us here this morning, we we understand that Jesus came. We understand the historical fact of his coming. Most people, or many people I should say nowadays, know the, the historical facts, the information that Jesus came. And, and a lot of people believe that they are Christians because they know a historical fact, something that happened in the past. Uh, just like you believe that, that George Washington crossed the Delaware, you understand that Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for the sins of the world. You know these two facts. And there are a great many people that believe that they are Christians because they know a fact about the life of Jesus. That's not what makes you a Christian. And this morning, what I want us to look at in this story is, and I want us all to ask this question, but not just ask the question of ourselves, but I want us to ask this question in relation to the people around us, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors. Has the coming of Jesus on that day 2,000 years ago, that Palm Sunday that we celebrate every year, that celebration of His coming into Jerusalem, is, has the coming of Jesus, is it, is it just a historical fact or is it an event that has changed your life? Is the cross just a historical fact, something that you know about, or is it something that has genuinely changed you forever? And how do you know the difference? 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they cannot keep on sinning because they are children of God. How do you know that it's more than just a historical fact? Because it has literally changed you. And this is an evidence of that change. What this passage is teaching us is that if you are a believer in Christ, you cannot make habitual sin a part of your life. You cannot live in habitual sin. You just can't. You cannot sin and just go on and on and on sinning and be okay with that. Sin is a big deal to you if you are a genuine believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand this morning, I'm not going to to espouse, I'm not going to be a proponent of legalism this morning, but what I am going to be a proponent of is a grace-filled life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which has changed your activity. You see, you cannot change your activity and thereby become a Christian, but if you have genuinely become a Christian, it will necessarily change your activity. You get that? You see... You you, you don't change the way you act and in so doing become a Christian. You receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord by grace through faith and it necessarily changes the way you act. If Jesus coming into the world is more than just a, a, a historical event, a fact that you understand, it is something that you've embraced by faith and He has changed your life, you are not going to be able to live a lifestyle of sin. How do you know whether or not it's more than historical fact? You look at your life. Are you holy? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Work at living in peace with everyone. Good advice. We should all do that. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now the word holiness here means consecration, purification, sanctification of heart and life. Those are theological terms. But if you want to know the hillbilly definition, what it really means is this. This means that you are one who has given your life to God, not simply in word, but as a matter of the will. You've determined to give your life to Jesus, live in relationship with Him, and subsequently love and obey Him. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. So have you genuinely believed? Have you genuinely put your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you genuinely moved from an intellectual exercise into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the big question this morning. A person might casually answer that question in the affirmative. They might say, yes, I've done that. Yes, there's been a moment that I have done that in my life where I have had faith in Jesus Christ. But let me just challenge you with this. Unless your life reflects the truth of such a confession, don't walk out of here thinking you're saved. Unless your life reflects what that confession actually means, do not walk out of here trusting that if you died on the way home in a car wrecked, you're going to heaven when you die. Now, these may seem like harsh words and hard words, but it's just the truth of Scripture. I do you no favors to give you some false sense of hope. I do you no favors this morning if I give you some false sense of assurance that you are saved when you're not. Because here's what happens, I think, too many times in Baptist life. A child comes down to the altar at age 8, 9, 10 years old, and and wants to join the church, wants to be saved, wants to take the Lord's Supper, wants to be baptized. So we explain to them something of what it means to be saved. We pat them on the back. We baptize them. We put them in Sunday school class. They had no genuine understanding of what the decision really meant. And it becomes painfully obvious as they grow up. Because as they grow up, they have less and less concern for the things of the Lord. And they begin to live in greater and greater rebellion against God and His moral law. And it becomes very obvious by the time that they're teenagers, if not before then, that they had no idea what they were doing at eight or nine. But we point back to that moment in time when they walked the altar and say, well, at least we know they're saved. At least we know they're saved. And mommy and daddy, they comfort themselves because, well, there was that moment in time when they came to the altar and prayed and they were saved, but they didn't know what they were doing, and they weren't genuinely saved. And so we give them a false assurance when they talk to us about their faith and feel conviction of any kind and feel doubts about their salvation, and we say, well, you remember, you did get saved. You just need to get right with the way you're living. But the reality is they never genuinely got saved. There never was a born-again experience. There never was a life change. There never was an end to who you were and a resurrection to somebody new. You see, we have churches full of unregenerate members today because of experiences that people had at eight and nine who had no idea what they were doing, meant no, nothing to them whatsoever spiritually in the grand scheme of things, and yet they, they've been told that it did. How do you know you're saved? How do you know that these events that we read about this morning are more than historical facts that you've given intellectual assent to? Are you holy? Do you love Jesus? You know, the Apostle Paul said there are two kinds of sorrow in life. One is worldly sorrow and one is godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and salvation. Now, godly sorrow is I'm sorry that my sin, my thought, word, and deed that's contrary to the will of God has hurt the heart of a holy God who loves me and gave His Son for my sins. I am sorry that I have hurt the heart of God. Worldly sorrow is It's just simply sorry it's wrong to do what's what I want to do. Or it's sorry that it got caught doing what was wrong. You see the difference? There's no real genuine sorrow leading to repentance and salvation in the worldly sorrow. Because that person doesn't care that they've hurt the heart of God. They're just sorry that they can't be their own God and declare right what they know is wrong. You see, do you have worldly sorrow or godly sorrow? Have you genuinely come to more than an intellectual scent to a set of facts and given your heart and life to Jesus Christ by faith? Believed and put trust in what you know to be true and given your life to Him? That's the real question here this morning. Too many people are simply holding on to something that happened in the past that had no real meaning of an eternal significance. See, Jesus came into the world and He is God. And scripture says he set aside his glory and all the benefits of being God in a sense, all the the benefits of that glory and the wonder of that glory to be born here on earth in a manger where there was no air conditioning or electricity, right? I mean, it was a whole lot harsher world than the one we grew up in. He set aside heaven, which is beyond any of our imagination, to be born there. Why? Because he loved us. And without the intervention of God, we were lost in our sin forever. We belittle that event, if we make salvation nothing more than an event when we're eight years old that we give no real thought to for the rest of our life. If salvation is just simply coming to the altar and saying a a prescribed prayer at age eight that we give no thought to the rest of our life, then salvation is cheap and the sacrifice of Christ is cheapened. You see, Jesus, He resolutely walked those steps 2,000 years ago as they put palm branches in front of him, to go to a bloody, cruel cross that was due us. You see, we were born sinners, each of us. We are born with a sin nature because in the Garden of Eden 2,000 years plus ago, right, we're talking about six, 8,000 years ago, thousands and thousands of years ago, in that Garden of Eden, mankind chose to sin against God. We were born, or created rather, Adam and Eve were without a sin nature. There was no sin in their existence. They chose to rebel against God, but their sin was not the eating of an apple. Their sin was, I want to be my own God. I want to choose right and wrong. I want to be the one that determines what is right and what is wrong for me. I want to be the arbiter. I want to be the judge of morality. I want to be my own God. Choose my own way. I want to be like God. And every child born since, through their father, is given A sin nature. We're born with it. We are born in rebellion against God. We are born with this curse of sin upon us. He said, well, I'm a pretty good person, and I think at the end of things, God's going to look upon me with with that in mind, that I've I've done more good than bad. I'm pretty good, and, and I think even though I was born with a sin nature, God's going to take me on into heaven. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever in your life told a lie? What do we call someone who tells a lie? A lie. Have you ever stolen anything in your life, even something small like your little sister's candy? Yeah. What do we call someone who steals? A thief. Have you ever looked upon another person with lust in your heart? Scripture says if you look upon a person with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. What do we call those people adulterers? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Such a person is called a blasphemer. If you've done any of those things, even one of those things, one time in your life, you are tainted. You are imperfect and none can see the Lord unless they are holy. By God's standard, you are broken and hopeless and you cannot fix yourself because forever and time and all of eternity, you are stained with that sin. And we all know that we've committed more than just one. But God intervened in our hopeless situation by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And He died on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins. He took upon Himself the curse that was due us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. How do I know I'm a sinner? Because I have seen and heard God's moral law, and I know that I have violated it. Just as I pointed out to you a moment ago, we have all violated God's moral law, and it pronounces us as sinners, broken, lost, and damned. Cursed. And it says here in Galatians 3.13 that Jesus Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus became sin for us. He became our sin. He became a curse for us. He became our curse. He took these things upon himself. He hung and he died there. He was born in a manger, lived a perfect life. He never had to die He never had to certainly die a cruel death upon which He would become a curse hung on a tree for us. He did that for us. He chose to willingly do that to pay the price for our sins and to become a curse for us. Of course, we know the story doesn't end there because He rose from the dead. We'll get there next week. But this is what Jesus did for us. He resolutely set Himself on the path, walking it, knowing that I'm going to become the curse for James Heffington and I'm going to become James Heffington's sins. I'm going to take upon me all of his sins. I'm going to take on me the full weight of the curse due him. I am going to take upon me the the complete and full and total wrath of God that is due James Heffington as I set myself to the cross. That's what I'm doing. And he did it for you too. You can put your name in there as well. Because he did it for all of us. So where are you this morning? Now, some people in this day and time, they they question everything. Does God exist? Does He not exist? Is Jesus really God? Did He really come and do the things He said? Dude, I could give you sermon after sermon after sermon, apologetic sermons to prove points. Okay, we don't check our brain at the door. You can think and be a Christian. And we can talk about that sometime if you have those questions. But taking those things as fact, let me just challenge you this morning. They have to be more than just facts. You can't just believe God exists. You can't just believe that Jesus Christ was His Son. You can't just believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of every person. You can't just believe that He took the curse of every human being upon Himself when He died there. You can't just believe that. You have to believe that. You have to trust that. You have to have faith. Believe and trust in that. And give your life to Him. And if there's never come a moment when you've genuinely given your life to Him, you're lost. You're not saved. You still have your sin Do your account. The curse is still upon you and the wrath of God rests upon you even in this moment. And I don't take any pleasure in telling you that. But you need to understand that you're lost so you can be saved. A man, a woman cannot be saved until they first admit, accept, and realize that they are lost. And my concern is, is that there are too many who are sitting in church thinking they're saved. Living like hell, thinking just because they at one point said a prayer and were baptized that everything's taken care of in eternity. Listen, if you're really saved, your life is changed. If you're really saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God convicting you, changing you, moving you. You cannot be content with sin. You cannot be comfortable in sin. You cannot accept sin. You cannot walk in sin. I'm not saying that there'll never be a moment in time when you do sin, but you're not going to wallow in it. You're not going to accept it. Because you have a new passion and you have a new nature. And you've been forgiven much and you know you've been forgiven much. And the Spirit of God that has been poured into you and the new nature you have are going to produce in you a new propensity towards obedience and for obedience to God. Before you become saved, before you have this new birth and you have this new life in Christ, you have a propensity to rebellion and a propensity to sin. But now as a believer, you have a new inclination, a new set of propensities to follow after Christ. Let me tell you, I could preach three and four sermons on this subject, on this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to spare you three and four this morning, okay? So just listen real good to one. The tragedy of this hour and the lives of so many American Christians is that we have cheapened the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Even those who are saved. They have failed to see their sin for the ugliness and the blackness that it is. And they have ceased as a result to see the great price which was required pay for the blackness of their sin. Those who have been forgiven little will love little. Those who have been forgiven much will love much. You know what? We all fall in the latter category. We just think sometimes we fall in the former. Because we think we're pretty good. And we think our sin's not so bad. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ has not left us there. Although the wages of sin is death, and that is an eternal death and separation from God and eternity in a hell prepared for the devil and his angels, Christ has given us a gift, the free gift of His Son, an eternal life in Him so that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's the opportunity this morning. If you're sitting there this morning saying, I don't know if I'm saved. And I have serious doubts this morning as to whether or not I'm saved from sin, saved from hell, and saved from an eternity separated from God. If that's you this morning, you can know that you are saved. Because all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call upon God this morning and say, I believe the facts. Jesus, you are God. Jesus, you came and lived on this earth. You died a cruel, ugly death. And while you did that, each precious drop of your blood was payment for all of my sins, the wrath of God due me, and the curse that was mine. I believe you paid for all of those things for me. I trust those things are true, and I entrust my life as a matter of my will to you. I give myself to you. I'm not my own God. I don't get to choose what's right and what's wrong. You do. I don't get to choose where I go, what I do. You're God. You do. You are God. I am not God anymore. I take myself off of the throne of my life and I give my life to you. This morning you can do that. This morning you can pray and you can give your life to Christ. It's a serious matter if you do though. There is no cheap grace here guys. It costs Jesus' His life to do these things for you. And in return we're called to give our life to Him. It's no small matter. You don't get to decide things for yourself anymore. You don't get to decide how you're going to live your life anymore. Because you are a follower of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You love Him and you have a propensity and inclination to obey Him. A desire to obey Him. And you cannot accept in your life sin and rebellion against Him. And so it's going to change you. It's going to make your life completely and totally different. If you give your life to Jesus Christ. You're going to be a new person. Jesus said in John 3, you're going to be born again. It's going to be just like you have been born brand new as a brand new person. Not just born clean from your sins and cleansed from your sins, but born unto a new life with a new nature and a new set of desires in your heart. You're going to be changed. You're going to be new. You're going to be different. I've known people whose lives have been radically changed by Jesus Christ. It's obvious when people get saved who are adults who've been living their own way so long. So many of us were saved as kids, and it's not as, as, as obvious. I mean, we were, we, we, we were changed, but we didn't have a lot of time to really mess things up and make our life look as ugly as sin will make your life look over a period of time. But I'm going to tell you something. God makes your life beautiful when you give it to Him. And the question this morning is, will you? You know, we're we're going to have a time of invitation in a few minutes. An invitation, all that is, is we are inviting you to respond to God. We're going to invite you to do business with God. And the business that you need to do with God first and foremost is to make for certain this morning that you are a genuine child of the King. That you are genuinely saved from your sin that you have genuinely given your life to Jesus Christ. Not just in principle, not just in thought, but completely. Completely. Jesus tells a story of Judgment Day. There's going to be a great dividing of the people. And I'm not reading it to you word for word. I'm just going to tell you the story. Jesus says, to the folks on one hand to come on into heaven and the other ones he says depart from me i never knew you. And you know what the difference was between those two groups of people? Was how they lived their life. And some folks will say that is that a, a legalistic works-based salvation? Not at all. What it is is Jesus knew this one group and didn't know the other group. And those that genuinely knew Jesus had a changed life. They loved God and they served him. And this other group over here didn't. They didn't have a relationship with God and Therefore, they never served Him. They were never changed. So this morning, we're going to invite you, if you don't know with certainty that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and the curse and Savior from your sin nature, if you don't know with certainty that you have a new life and you are born again, then we're going to invite you to come. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you and help you to genuinely give your heart to Christ so that He can change you. Let me tell you something. We're saved by the grace of God through our faith in Him alone. Nothing else. But when you're genuinely changed, genuinely saved, you are genuinely changed. And this morning, I want you to, I want you to think about this. I'm not saying, have, have you ever sinned? Okay, There are a lot of believers in here who say, well, I've sinned since I was saved, yes. But you felt conviction. You repented. And you got right. I'm here to say this morning, if you can look at your life and say, there's nothing about my life that that says I'm holy. There's nothing about my life that says I genuinely belong to Christ. I'm able to live in in sin and not be too concerned about it, whatever that sin is. And this morning I need to make sure that I genuinely belong to Christ and I want to give my life to Him. Then that's what we invite you to do is to come, give your life to Him. Come and be sure. Come and be certain. That you know Jesus. Jesus resolutely set His mind and His face towards Jerusalem and towards the cross for you. Does that excite you? And have you availed yourself of what He came to do for you? If you're not certain, then this morning come. This morning come. Come to Jesus and give your life to Him. Don't wait another moment don't think that it's okay just to do it where you sit. You come make a public profession of your faith and you come down here on this aisle and you give your life to Jesus this morning. You let people know about that commitment. You let people know that you love Jesus and you want to be certain this morning that you have genuinely placed faith in Him and you want to make certain that you genuinely have the new life in Christ that He came to give you. You do it this morning. You come this morning. You don't wait. You don't hesitate. As soon as we stand up, as soon as we start singing, you get out of the place that you're sitting in. You come this morning and you say, I need to know that I know that I know, that I know Jesus. And I want to give Him my life. And I want to be changed. I want to be a new believer. I want to be a new creation. I want to be born again. I want new life this morning. And I don't want to wait another second for it to start. I want it to happen now, today do it this morning because this stuff's real guys this is not something I just get up and talk about on Sundays in order to draw a check I don't care about that there's no amount of dollar that means anything to me compared to the rewards of eternity and what Christ has for all who follow Him and I want you to partake of that I want you to know that I want you to follow Him I want you to love Him I want you to know Him let's bow together